Welcome to the SaaS Side Lab podcast where we bring to you the stories of SaaS founders, entrepreneurs, and CEOs. My name is Luis. I'm the owner and founder of Phantom Agency, a digital marketing agency specializing in scaling SaaS companies. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Arun. He is the global VP of growth and marketing over at Freshworks. So I know it's, it's really late for you right now, and I know you took this call from home. So I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time out of the day to actually do this with me and, and being on here. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, so to start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, Arun? Uh, great. Uh, thanks for the introduction, uh, Luis. And first off, uh, thanks for having me on this podcast. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to share my insights on uh, the company that I work at and also from my profession so far, professional journey so far. Um, so on my background, uh, I'm currently the Global VP of Growth and Marketing at Freshworks. Which, is, which means I'm responsible for all marketing that's focused on delivering revenue mm-hmm. for the business. And essentially, my teams are focused on uh, marketing activities that cut across different stages of uh, the customer lifecycle, starting from acquisition, activation, engagement, retention, and advocacy. And it's a pretty fully scaled uh, global marketing op- uh, team. Uh, as a company, we have about 2,000 employees globally uh, and growing uh, and uh, the marketing team that works under me is about 200 plus people, and we are also aggressively hiring. So uh, we have digital marketing, sales development, customer marketing, marketing operations, uh, content marketing, and uh, demand gen teams, and including field marketing teams based in different locations around the world that are part of my organization. And it is this machinery that kind of drives leads uh, and opportunities, qualified opportunities uh, for the business and and also um, works on campaigns that are focused on driving uh, growth from existing customers uh, for Freshworks. Uh, in, that's a little bit about what I do at Freshworks and what my team does. Uh, in terms of uh, my background, I started my career as a software engineer like you know most uh, people from India uh, tend to do you know, everyone goes into an engineering uh, course. Uh, and, but I always knew I was a marketer at heart. So I decided to pursue uh, a course in management and then switch careers to marketing. I joined uh, India's largest telecom operator called Airtel, where I was part of the marketing team responsible primarily for usage and retention and what at that moment was called customer lifecycle marketing. Uh, I spent about three years there and then the startup ecosystem in India was beginning to bloom. And uh, I joined uh, Inmobi, which is uh, a global ad tech company, which is based out of India. And it happens to be India's first unicorn. I joined them uh, at a stage, uh, you know, when uh, they had, they were yet to turn a unicorn. So just about seven, eight months before they, uh, they received a huge round of funding from SoftBank for about $200 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I played various roles there. I joined them as part of uh, a mobile payments initiative, but later integrated into the core business, which was mobile advertising. And, uh, I, you know, over the last uh, seven years, I played various roles within the marketing function and ended my stint there as a global CMO. Uh, post which uh, I wanted to take, um, as, uh, I want to try my luck at getting back to B2C or consumer side of the business. And, uh, so I was heading up marketing at Hotstar for their international business. And Hotstar is like the Netflix of India, and it's part of 20th Century Fox, which now got acquired by Disney. Uh, so 
that was responsible for growing their international business and driving subscription growth um, from across the world. Um, and then came along Freshworks, and um, it was one of the most exciting companies for me to join because of the stage in, at which they are. They are also the first SaaS unicorn out of India. And, uh, you know, we announced last year that we crossed $100 million in ARR and we're, you know, a publicly valued at more than $1.5 billion. And we are at a, in, an, in a phase of hyper growth. Uh, and there are very few companies in the SaaS space globally uh, that are at this scale and are continuing to grow at very high digit uh, 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 you know, a growth number. So uh, it's a pretty exciting time to be in the SaaS space in yeah. India and also as part of Freshworks, which is from India, but we are headquartered in uh, San Mateo and we have, you know, we have pretty much been a global company from day one. Right. Uh, our first, first customer ever was from Australia and we now have about 150,000 plus customers uh, globally from across 150 countries. So a pretty global business uh, and a pretty exciting company and uh, you know, this role uh, was something that uh, sounded pretty exciting to me. So here I am uh, at Freshworks. That's a great story. And I, and I, I thank you for going so deep into your background. I, those were some of the questions that I had, um, you know, wanting to understand how exactly it was that you got into the tech world <coughs> and how that kind of led to where you are at right now. Like it's, it's a very, you know, it's a very, what do you call it? high caliber position to be the global VP of growth and marketing for such a huge company. So another one of the questions that comes with that, and it's related to marketing specifically, right? Is how do you go about, you know, and, and first, before I ask this question is, is all marketing done in house? Yes. Okay. It is all done in house. Like I said, it's a fully scaled organization. We do leverage agencies, uh, you know, uh, the way I look at leveraging agencies, we either leverage agencies for extremely high value jobs or for extremely low value jobs. Uh, for instance, something that's as operational as just putting out social media cards and so on and so forth. Right. That's something that I wouldn't want to waste the bandwidth of my team on mm -hmm. or on extremely high value jobs. For instance, uh, working with, um, you know, subject matter experts and thought leaders in the space to create content that would be valuable for our audience. Uh, outside of these two polar examples, I think we have a solid marketing engine, mm -hmm. both in India as well as in region that allows us to uh, take care of all marketing activities uh, in-house. That's awesome. When it comes to obviously being a global company, you, you deal with a lot of different cultures, a lot of different you know, countries with different ways of thinking, different you know, uh, uh, psychographics and things like that. So how yeah. is then marketing approached when you, when you have to think, right. And, and this is more so from you as being the global VP of it. How, how do you think through, you know, having to reach, for example, someone in India as compared to someone in the United States when they have two completely different, um, types of, you know, minds per se. Uh, that, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, uh, internally call this, uh, a globalization strategy as in uh, it is important uh, that as a global company with a global position in the ecosystem, we have a consistent position, positioning and messaging across all our audiences. But at the same time, it is important to be deeply alive to the realities of the individual right. markets that you operate in and be able to tweak your campaign. So 
the way we go about doing it is one is establishing a common understanding uh, both internally and externally uh, about who we are, what we offer, and why are we different, which is basically answering the questions around why change, why yes, and why now. Right. And then kind of take that message and tweak it locally uh, and identify global themes as marketing teams that we focus on uh, for the entire year, right, around which we create campaigns. But when we go about doing those, uh, creating those campaigns, we also identify uh, opportunities to localize them. For instance, uh, you know, there are markets which are digital natives, uh, meaning that, uh, you know, they have leapfrogged uh, into the era of digital revolution. So they are more uh, savvy when it comes to adoption of new SaaS platforms, and so on. But if you think of markets, like including in parts of Europe, uh, people are still talking about digital transformation because they're moving from on-prem to cloud. So while, you know, in some markets we talk about leading edge topics like AI and machine learning and how that is influencing customer experience strategy, uh, we also tend to talk about topics that would appeal to local markets, for instance, about digital transformation. Right. And if you were the chief digital officer, how do you go about doing that? And how do you go about delivering that? So uh, uh, to, to obviously do this, you also need to have build a multicultural team uh, because you need to ensure that you're not building a messaging that resonates only in a, in a few markets uh, and does not work well in some. So we use a combination of the uh, global marketing or the central marketing teams and the regional field marketing team to be able to strike the right balance between uh, developing a global as well as a locally relevant strategy. Right. So that's, that's, that's what I call as localizing your marketing approach. And I think uh, it's for most uh, global companies, it's, it's, uh, it's important. That's really, really cool. And I really like the whole localizing approach to it. It definitely makes sense. And I think it's powerful when it comes to, you know, it, it's something that don't, that companies don't necessarily think about because they're just not there yet. So they haven't had that type of problem uh, come up or as other might call it, you know, an opportunity to become more yeah. unique in that sense, which is pretty cool. Um, being that you are in the customer success, you know, industry or vertical inside of SaaS, what are some of the best tips regarding um, customer success at scale, would you say? Uh, I think, um, you know, we... When you think of uh, customer experience and, you know, we are a customer engagement platform mm -hmm. uh, and it means uh, we, we think of developing customer engagement across four uh, key pillars. One is how do you do uh, contextual engagement? Mm -hmm. How do you do predictive engagement? How do you do uh, collaborative engagement? Right. And uh, so, Basically, if you think about how consumers are and how do you do anywhere engagement, that's the fourth pillar. Right. So if you really think about how consumer behavior is evolving, uh, one is people want uh, to have meaningful conversation and to have that conversation, you need to have deep context. And you build a deep context based on aggregating all information that you have about customers and bringing them into a single customer record, a customer master record, right? So many companies are talking about customer 360 and building this unified customer experience. But to do that, you need context. And to, to build that context, you need to build uh, uh, one single view of what's happening with the customer. 
Right, so, some relationships so that you can understand where they're coming from and what kind of you know, things they're dealing with, essentially. Exactly. Having a history on their interactions on your platform, having signals around where is it they are currently in terms of location, in terms of channel they are engaging with you, their past history on how they have interacted with your brand in the past, all of that helping you build that contextual engagement strategy. The second thing is, like I said, predictive engagement. So people are at a point where they expect brands to already know what customers want. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to leverage, uh, you know, technologies like AI and ML to be able to predict what the customer really wants at that point in time and offer that service in a non-intrusive way. So that's for us, uh, you know, predictive engagement. The third is anywhere engagement, which is pretty, you know, it's, it's all about being omnipresent, basically being available across all channels. The consumer journey today is, uh, it's very different from how it looked a decade ago, yeah. right? Uh, so consumers can go anywhere from online to offline to social to email to chat to mobile and to desktop, and they decide the consumer journey. And you need to ensure that as a brand, you are available across all of these channels all the time when the consumer decides to engage with your brand. So that's uh, anywhere engagement, right? And the fourth is collaborative engagement. So oftentimes what happens is the same customer has gone through an entire customer journey. So at some point in time, they were a prospect, they became your customer, and they started engaging with your brand. They'd either turn an advocate or they leave uh, your platform. Right. At all these points, there are different teams within the company that are engaging with the customers, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so it's the marketing team that's engaged with the prospect, the sales team that converted the prospect into a customer, you have a customer support team that's been handling tickets that the customer raised on various problems that they had. You probably have, uh, you know, they're interacting with others from their community, talking about your brand and so on and so forth. So if in case a customer reaches out to you at any stage in this consumer journey, how do you enable internal teams within your company to come together to solve the customer's problem, right? So think of it like having, uh, I thought of a Slack platform, but superimposed with context, right? So if sales and marketing and customer support could all work together to deliver a great experience for customers, then you're kind of delivering a wow experience, right? And if you think about Freshworks vision, we believe in enabling teams to deliver moments of wow, and that can happen when teams internally are working together to solve the problem. So it's not like, okay, you know, the sales guy uh, offered up a discount to the customer, Mm -hmm. Right, the customer, when he receives the invoice, doesn't see that discount raising. He reaches out to the customer service team, and they're like they're completely clueless. They take two days to right. interact with the sales team, and by the time they get back, it's too late. The customer is already frustrated. So, if you were to do this really well, internal teams need to be enabled with context, and that's when you build uh, a solid collaborative engagement strategy. So, to to be able to deliver a great customer experience, you need predictive engagement collaborative engagement, anywhere engagement, and contextual engagement. That's really how we have thought about building great customer experiences, and that's how our internal platforms and our products have also come together to deliver against that promise. Very, very great answer. I, I, I think you hit that spot on. Um, now, when it comes to you know, challenges in, in, in marketing specifically that you see at scale, What's been, you know, one of the hardest things to really approach and tackle? Yeah, I think I'll, I'll speak from it uh, 
speak of this particular problem from Freshworks perspective and what we are uh, experiencing right now. So I think when you're doing marketing at scale at, you know, you're a hundred million dollar plus uh, scale, uh, you are working with different kinds of customers. So we work with the biggest brands like say a Honda or a Cisco or a Hugo Boss on one hand, but we also work with a tons and tons of SMBs, right? Who have less than 10 employees or less than 50 employees yeah. in their company. Now, to be able to market and drive customer acquisition and growth from either of these polar opposites requires a completely different way of marketing. What works for a small SME will not work for attracting a mid-market or an enterprise customer. And that's where uh, we have developed uh, uh, what we call a twin engine model. So we know exactly what channels work for the SMB guys to attract customers to a platform, but we also know what we need to build to be able to attract mid-market and enterprise customers. Sure. For instance, uh, for the SMB side, your approach is typically about uh, leveraging a combination of trade and content marketing to drive organic growth. And that's worked really, really well for us. In fact, uh, you know, when Freshworks launched in 2010, uh, for almost the early five, six years, uh, we witnessed uh, exponential growth from the SMB segment. But over the last couple of years, what has also happened is you know, our products have matured. So they are able to compete on capabilities and features with uh, some of the larger players. Uh, so we are able to attract mid-market and enterprise customers. But the, the sales motions, the marketing motions that are required to attract customers from the mid-market space is very different because they are high touch, they are in region, uh, they're not searching for keywords, they're not reading reviews online. They actually work on referrals and word of mouth and stuff like that. So building a strategy that provides that high-touch marketing through uh, you know, using a sales development team, using a strong event strategy, using a strong uh, uh, account-based marketing strategy, those are kind of the tactics that kind of work well. So for me, uh, you know, if you think about, if you ask me personally in my role, uh, the biggest challenge, but also the, uh, the most exciting part of my role is how do you constantly strike this right balance between being able to attract uh, SMB customers at the same time, being able to grow the business through mid-market and enterprise, right? And these require completely different mindsets, completely different skills and marketing approaches. Mm -hmm. So ensuring that you have the right marketing strategy to be able to meet this demand from the business is, is, is what I would say is uh, pretty challenging, but at the same time, extremely exciting because very few companies out there have uh, this kind of a mix. And uh, the, problems is, the problems are unique, but the opportunity, uh, if leveraged uh, properly, right. will also reap big dividends for us. That's, that's great. Now, how do you essentially allocate, you know, how much business is going to come from each one of those sectors? So how much do we invest in trying to drive more enterprise and mid-range, you know, companies into Freshworks? And how much of that money is invested into trying to drive the SMBs into Freshworks? Well, I think it's, it's a diff, it, it's the, uh, the answer to that question lies in understanding uh, really where the business growth is coming from, which products are driving those, that, uh, that growth. And uh, within that, uh, which segments and which markets are driving that growth, right? So once you have an understanding of one, obviously, the total addressable market that you as a business is going after and then break that down by which regions and which products are driving it, 
you would have a fair sense of what, uh, you know, how much revenue you expect each of these SMB and mid-market enterprise uh, groups to grow. And based off of that revenue targets, you just break that down into uh, SQLs and MQLs and, uh, you know, uh, and raw leads that you need to generate to be, and you have data around what the typical conversion rates across different stages of the lead cycle are going to be, right? And work backwards to understand how much you need to invest. And obviously the cost of acquisition through digital is going to be very different from the cost of acquisition through say an event or a webinar or an account-based marketing strategy. So you weigh in on multiple things, including the cost of marketing in the market. For instance, marketing in India is fairly simple, right? Uh, whereas if you were to uh, market in the US or in Europe, it's going to be far more expensive. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, uh, also factors like the strength of the brand, right? For instance, we are headquartered in the US and we have a very large operations in India. So our brand is pretty strong in these two markets. So with brand presence being much higher, you can uh, afford to uh, invest. Uh, I mean, you, you will require less to generate more. Right. Right. right, because the brand does the work for you. Mm. Uh, it comes at an investment as well. Brand building a brand also comes uh, with a marketing investment, but it has a long-term effort in terms of driving organic growth. Totally. Uh, so, bearing in mind which segments are going to drive that growth, which products are enabling the growth, and mapping that to which markets and the strength of your brand in those markets, I think you know you you try and model out how much investment you need to make across these different engines, which is SMB versus mid-market, and then break that down by region based on the individual market revenue goals. Mm -hmm. Very well. And you brought a great point too, where, you know, branding, where it's this huge thing. And I feel like a lot of companies, specifically in the tech space, I feel like a lot of companies get it right. Like they definitely understand the power of branding and the power of being in front of, you know, as many people as they can get to at whatever stage they are, right? It's so like they, they're constantly like spending money on branding and trying to put their brand in front of people and, and et cetera. And then there's also companies that for some reason don't necessarily, you know, understand that having people know your brand is going to have that long-term effect, like you said, and it's going yeah. to reap rewards, maybe not, you know, not immediately because it's not going to be something that's just going to happen over like overnight. And, and then all of a sudden your brand is well known across, you know, the seas or whatever you want to call it. But what is, you know, like, I guess the question here is, and I don't know if you'll have the answer because you're at such a scale at this point, but how important or, or how much effort should, should a startup company really, you know, spend on, on bringing their product to awareness into markets? It, that's a great question, and I think a lot of companies grapple with that question. Uh, I think uh, one thing I, in my experience, uh, I would say is that the, the lines between brand and performance marketing uh, are blurring, right? The reality today is all brand is performance, all performance is brand. Even when I'm spending on Google search and throwing money on ad, uh, AdWords, somebody is seeing your brand, right? right? And that is having a brand impact. And similarly, someone seeing your billboard ad or, and uh, you know, uh, you advertise on Super Bowl, that is going to have an organic impact into someone going and looking up mm -hmm. your brand on the website and converting later. So one is uh, the lines are definitely blurring, uh, I would say. And the second thing is uh, brand marketing in the traditional sense in terms of investing in 
uh, really top of the funnel uh, marketing activity really needs to be timed based on the stage at which the startup or the company is. Okay. I would say when you are in a very, very early stage, uh, your, your absolute focus must be to ensure that you are figuring out the right product market fit. So just w not, spending on, not spending anything on marketing at all, I would say. Just focusing on your initial users, understanding whether your product is working. Create as much word of mouth as you can because your product is not perfect. At the same time, you need enough advocates who will go and bring in more customers for you to test and learn and improve your product. But the moment you see that you've reached a certain stage where you've hit the product market fit uh, milestone, it is then that you start investing in growth marketing. Yeah. And I would say the initial stage, you spend more on performance-based marketing where you're uh, leveraging digital channels and uh, organic uh, growth strategies to grow your business and everything because I, you're still at a scale where you want to be able to measure and deliver leads to the business and that's the right. uh, uh, imperative, business imperative to drive growth. But as you start scaling and as, you know, at least at the scale at which we are, I think, you know, when we're crossing $100 million or even when you're at $50, $60 million, uh, if you have the budget for it, investing some amount in brand marketing can definitely help, right? Uh, and oftentimes, uh, uh, you know, brand marketing can give you a sort of uh, a step growth over and above what you're able to accomplish with uh, growth marketing. Mm -hmm. And it, it's only, you should only invest in it when you, if, if and when you can afford it. And depending on which stage of uh, the company's life cycle you really are at. Mm -hmm. But if you believe that, you know, brand marketing does more than just bring you business. It can uh, help you attract investors. It can help you find funding. And uh, it can help you attract great talent. All of which are really important when you right. hit that scale standpoint because you're attracting a different breed of content, a different breed of talent. And investing in brand marketing, like either uh, billboards or uh, out, out of home or uh, television uh, and stuff like that can actually build more credibility for your mm -hmm. brand, right? And that allows you to attract. So brand marketing has multidimensional benefits. Right. And I would say that you need to consider investing in it when you think the right timing is right, when you have been able to achieve product market fit, you have a growth marketing engine that is constantly fueling the business with the leads and meeting uh, all the growth demands that you have. And then you invest in brand marketing to give it that step jump, right? right to attract uh, more customers, more investors, talent, and all of that stuff that all the goodness that you can get out of brand marketing. That's awesome. Great answer. And you brought up some, some good points regarding that, right? And, and some of those where, you know, if, you don't have the, or if you have the funding, you know, kind of do it. And, and something that I've heard in the past too, and that we've tried with, with a couple of companies in the past too, is, you know, if let's say you have, because when, when you're first starting out, right, you don't have, I mean, you don't have really traction. You, you're having a hard time getting traffic to your website. So when do you, you know, not just brand marketing, but really any sort of performance marketing or whatever it may be, if you have the funding, should you use it to kind of accelerate that point where you're still trying to find product market fit and maybe use some budget to test it, you know, different markets, different segments and see what works. And then it kind of helps you accelerate that process. And then once you find it, then you start scaling. Yeah. I would say like, I, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I think it's very, very critical to 
uh, have product market fit before you invest in uh, paid marketing dollars, any kind of paid marketing dollars. So I would say until that point, work on content marketing, work on driving organic growth, work on word of mouth uh, marketing and driving referrals from your best uh, or most loyal customers. And that's what I would employ. I, I would invest my efforts in. But the moment you have the funding and your right product market fit, you, you can, you, you should invest in paid marketing as well because you're competing oftentimes in an extremely fragmented space. So you need to invest in paid marketing to get in front of your customers uh, you know, at the moment that matters the most, especially when it comes to Google search, right? Mm -hmm. That's because that's quite bottom of the funnel. Right. But at the same time, it really depends on how much budget you really have and can afford, depending on your funding and so on and so forth. Because even if you start investing in paid marketing dollars, you are going to have a period of learning where you're just testing different uh, channels and optimizing your campaigns. Right. And you won't be able to really learn. And the first phase of paid marketing is really to learn what's working for your brand and what right. optimization strategy. And to be able to do that uh, uh, well, you need a sizable amount of budget, right? And if you, if you can't afford that kind of budget, then just turning on the tap on on product and on performance marketing is probably not going to deliver the results. So right. in any, how much of a budget you have, ask yourself the question, do you have enough experiment enough budget to experiment mm -hmm. right can you experiment at scale because you need to be almost in a period of three to six months you need to be investing you, you, should, you, you need to be rapidly experimenting try different ta tactics uh, try different channels try different messages right try different creative ad formats see what right. works for you and until you learn because even if you get the best of performance marketers uh, you know, your brand has its own nuances. Your product has its own nuances. Mm -hmm. the audiences and markets work differently. So it is important to allow room for the paid marketing team to uh, make mistakes and learn from them. And right. you need to give them that budget to be able to do that. And therefore, it, it, the question really comes down to how much can you really afford for mm -hmm. experimentation and how much uh, leeway does the management team or the leadership team give its marketing team to do that experimentation and fail fast so that they can succeed fast later. Right. Awesome. Super awesome answers. Uh, and now I feel like we've talked about, you know, the business side a little bit more. And I, I think the answers and the questions were all really good. Uh, and I wanted to get a little bit more into personal, you know, like how you kind of manage where you're at and things like that. Some of your thoughts on uh, mindset and different things at such a high level. Um, so first of all, you know, being where you're at, on a personal level, you know, like whether it's managing family or, or whatever it may be, what is the most challenging thing to do when, when you have, you know, such long days? I mean, you're on a podcast right now and it's 10 PM um, and so on. Right. So, so, so how do you, how do you manage, you know, with, with the kind of challenge that comes at such a, a such a high level? Uh, well, I think for, for me, I, I would, go out on a limb and say that I really enjoy the work I do and I'm really passionate about the work I do. So for me, it's really not about striking the right balance between work and personal uh, life. Uh, like everyone says, it's today the, uh, the most popular way to think about this is work-life work integration, right? So uh, that's really that. But I think in terms of uh, uh, what challenges I face, I, I have a two and a half year old son, so I wish I can get get to spend more time with him when I'm back home. Uh, but I, I make up for that over the weekend. 
when I'm at work, I think uh, my biggest uh, challenges that I, uh, I try working on is really building out my leadership team, you know, uh, and building functional depth across so many of these different uh, functions that I uh, manage, right? Mm-hmm. So at, at every point uh, in the life cycle of a startup, you need different kinds of talent, right, that is able to bring in and add value uh, to the, the stage at which you are as, uh, as a business. So finding that right talent uh, and inspiring them to stay focused on the larger goal, painting them uh, the end state that we're all working towards and uh, motivating them and their teams to ensure that we're all working to, together as a cohesive unit, uh, especially because it's a global multicultural team. Uh, so ensuring that all members of the global team are working together as an integrated unit to be able to move towards a common goal of delivering growth for the company. I think that's uh, it's, it's, it's a it's a pretty challenging task, but it's something that uh, keeps me up at night. But it's something that I also enjoy the most. Good, good. That's great. Now I did do a little bit of research, obviously, before the podcast, and I noticed that you had a LinkedIn Power Profile of 2017. So I want to talk a little bit about that and, and, and see, you know, what kind of benefits came with that? What kind of work had to be put in into LinkedIn, essentially, and just building up your profile in order to achieve uh, that uh, award? Uh, well, I honestly, I was pretty surprised when <laughs> LinkedIn sent me a note saying I was uh, one of the most viewed profiles in the top one in the marketing and advertising industry in India. Uh, so I was uh, pretty humbled to be honest because I was in the company of many, many uh, established entrepreneurs and CEOs and including, you know, uh, the prime minister and the top actresses in the com- in the country. So it's a very diverse and uh, dynamic uh, uh, company I had in that list. So I was really, really humbled that I figured there. Uh, but I think uh, I honestly didn't have any other strategy uh, apart from just being authentic and sharing, commenting, and liking posts that I felt very strongly about, about the topics that I really uh, found uh, closer to the work that I was doing. So over, I think, I, I, I think what also happened was because of my position in the company uh, as a CMO at Inmobi, uh, you know, I, there were a lot of media interactions and every time uh, there was a media, uh, uh, you know, there was a media, an article in the media uh, with my interview or something, I, I noticed that my followership and viewership on LinkedIn went up. So it was, uh, it was not really a well-planned, crafted strategy, but I think it organically happened because of what I was doing on the platform. I was connecting with a lot of people from the industry, primarily to also learn more about uh, the industry and the role that I was uh, playing at. Uh, in Mobi, but also uh, connecting with a lot of people who reached out for help in terms of having career advice or uh, in the area of mobile marketing and mobile advertising and just sharing my insights with them. So I guess one thing led to another and boom, I was I was quite surprised and humbled yeah. to get that recognition. That's awesome. That's awesome. Congratulations. And uh, this, this one is sometimes harder to answer and it's more about just being true to yourself and understanding that you know, these are things obviously that we as humans try to work through, right? So essentially, what is something that 
you're not very good at. Um, and this can be either at a personal level or at a, you know, more professional level. What is it I'm not good at? I think a lot of things, but which one do I pick? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the uh, one that you think is the most prevalent, I guess. Uh, I would say, uh, so I think all marketers have an orientation between the left brain and the right brain. Uh, and, uh, you know, on the personal side, I have a lot of interest in art. I am into pencil, making pencil portraits. I used to be a, uh, a singer in a band. I have all the creative awesome. side of me. But when it comes to work, I feel like I haven't been able to leverage my creative side enough okay. uh, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, in my roles, right? I end up being a very number-driven, data-driven guy. So I lean on to other creative folks on my team to bring that creative juice uh, uh, to some of the campaigns. Uh, and I think when I have that kind of a complementary skill on my team, I, I, I tend to work really, really well. Uh, so, but I, if I were to, on the professional front, I would think I could have been, I would have loved to bring some of my personal creativity into my profession. I guess I just get caught up in numbers and the business numbers that I need to drive growth for. So uh, I guess something that uh, I leverage others on my team to do that for me. Right. So, so essentially that's kind of a way of, of working through that, right? It's obviously using the resources um, available to, to still get the, out, the, the, the output essentially that you'd want. Um, yeah. so why, I don't know if this is even, you know, an appropriate or the right question, but why wouldn't you just say whenever you get those creative pieces, whatever the content piece might be, um, if you're thinking, you know, like you, you, like, I, I feel like I can relate to that very well. So I'm thinking like, why not just, you know, say it like, Oh, like, I think this would be better than what you provided me or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I think uh, it, uh, I've always believed in uh, building great teams mm -hmm. and uh, hiring people for their innate strength. Right. And you just know that when you have a really diverse team, uh, creativity, Ha just happens, right? You don't have to rely on yourself to come up with the biggest, the, the biggest idea in the room. Uh, I, I feel like great ideas come from a lot of places. So it's, I would rather crowdsource great ideas and, you know, put my engine behind delivering great executions because I've, I've noticed and I've learned that great ideas might fail just because you're not able to execute upon them very well, right? So, it's true that, you know, I, I do, I do push myself uh, to voice out some of the ideas that might be running in my head, but I let some of the younger folks on my team and some of the uh, people from different backgrounds, because I, I feel like in a room, there are tons of ideas that come from everybody and it's important to respect and value them. And I would rather crowdsource it rather than burden myself with totally. uh, that. Task. Awesome. Now, if you had one piece of advice for, you know, either someone that is in a position like yourself or an entrepreneur that is maybe starting their own SaaS company, what's the one thing that you would like them to know? Uh, are you asking this from my position in marketing or specifically in the context of SaaS companies? Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> I think let's, let's do from your, from your position, you know, in marketing as an individual. Uh, I think my piece of advice is, uh, 
You know, the, when, I, when I speak to a lot of folks who reach out to me for career advice on uh, what to pick, I think they struggle with this question of, should you be a generalist or should you be a specialist, mm-hmm. right? And I started out as a generalist, but I've realized that over a period of time, you are able to extract a real value for yourself when you deeply specialize in something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, uh, you know, a lot of people juggle with sales, marketing, business development, strategy, product development, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, when, when you've completed six, seven years in your career, you suddenly realize that you need to specialize in something because at that level of experience, people tend to look to you for bringing some expertise to the table. Right. Right. And the moment you start investing consciously in building your skills around one specific area, I have learned and I've experienced that the benefits tend to compound uh-huh. uh, after a point in time. And that compounding benefit is likely to push your career forward much, much more than trying to be a generalist all your career. Okay. So even when it comes to marketing, and I think marketing has become so broad today because there is brand marketing, there is digital marketing, growth marketing, you know, product marketing, and so many different types or areas that you specialize in. I think it, it helps to be a well-rounded marketer, but pick your specialty within that area, within right. marketing, know where your skills truly lie and double down on specialization. You can always, even if you grow into a senior leadership position, always hire people with complementary skills, but you should have that one skill that you have consciously honed over the years to be able to, you know, uh, truly extract value for yourself in your career. Uh, so that's, that's my piece of advice uh, purely from a career perspective. Awesome. I'm not sure if that's what you were looking for, but. Yeah, no, that was a great answer. And uh, as far as your, your favorite SaaS companies, this, uh, obviously aside from Freshworks, what are some of the companies that you look up to? Uh, I think I've always looked up to HubSpot uh, okay. because I, I, I think they've set the foundation for what inbound and content marketing should be globally. Uh, I, I love the way they are extremely data-driven, not just from a marketing perspective, but even from the way they run their sales and sales development engines. Uh, you know, they, they have a very scientific approach towards mm-hmm. driving growth. And I, I really love that. And I think there's a lot for me and for many other SaaS companies to learn from them. Uh, so yeah, HubSpot it is. Awesome. And last question, Arun, do you have any questions from me? Well, I would love to hear, uh, you know, I know you're running a digital marketing agency. What has been some of your observations uh, when it comes to working with startups in the SaaS space as well as medium-sized companies or large companies that you may have worked with? What do you mean exactly? Like the observation regarding what? Regarding their growth marketing strategy. What do companies struggle with? Uh, what, would, what would you offer as advice? I think a lot of them turn to struggle with, you know, putting the right content pieces in the right places. A lot of the times you yeah. see them that they, they really want to approach marketing in a very direct response way where, oh, here's my ad, sign up today, et cetera, which is, you know, I get it because they're trying to decrease the, light, the, the, you know, the, the sales cycle as much as possible by doing that. But I think the, where, the, where I see most of them struggle is they're not thinking of the user specifically. They, they want to focus more on, on the product and what they're able to bring to the table. 
as a company and not necessarily as a solution, if that makes sense. Where if you're, if for example, HubSpot, that's one of my favorite companies too, because of the way that they do content marketing. And although they're inbound, they do a lot of outbound marketing themselves. And you can see in their strategies and their tactics, you know, the way that they use content, it's not, it's not always yeah. gated content. They use, they use, um, I, I'm not entirely sure what the non-gated content um, term is, but essentially they, they just give yeah. you blog posts and all sorts of things, right? Yep. Um, and they, they, they tend to do it very contextual as well, where essentially they allow you to, you know, they kind of have little funnels created for certain pieces. So if you start to read something, then you'll see something that kind of goes along with the same thing. And I think that's one of the things that most startups slash early stage companies kind of lack is they, they want to focus on that direct response approach. That is, you know, we want those sales fast and, and totally it makes sense, but it kind of goes back to the whole branding thing where they don't understand essentially that they need to be spending more time on providing value to the users. And then once they understand them and, and, you know, put their company in a position that is higher perceived with value because they've, they've been able to provide all that information to them before they make that decision. Um, I think that's where I see the biggest gap um, between, you know, the, the smaller and bigger companies. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, I totally agree with what you said in, in terms of being able to offer value before you start selling your product. And I think exactly. that's a trap that a lot of companies fall into when, it, they, when they think about content, mm-hmm. right? You need to start adding value before you start asking them to sign up for your product. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And uh, that pretty much wraps up this podcast, Arun's thing. Uh, so thank you so much for being on here. It was a great interview. Definitely a lot of value for the people that are going to be watching or listening. Um, so again, thank you so much for being on here. And why don't you tell people where they can find you, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, and so on. Oh, yeah. So I, and I think the best channel to reach out to me on would be LinkedIn because I'm pretty active there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm not as much active on Twitter, but uh, LinkedIn, um, uh, you can just search my name and you would be able to find me. Or if you want to reach out to me uh, on email, then you could reach out to me at akp at freshworks.com. And I should be able to respond to you. Awesome. Great. And everyone, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Follow us on whatever Spotify, uh, you know, iTunes, whatever it is that you're listening to. And uh, if you're not yet, become part of the Facebook group. It's called SaaS Ad Lab. Should be able to find it and we go on there and provide value and, and try to engage with people as much as possible so again thank you so much arun for making the podcast and uh appreciate thank you for having me of course and uh we'll speak soon thank you thanks bye-bye bye-bye